There's plenty we can do in the city and make growing food on your land a normal thing. That's the kind of funny thing. It depends on what community you live in. If people think growing food in your front yard is acceptable, a lot of people still have the idea that a lawn is acceptable. A few pretty shrubs and some flowers are acceptable. Someone told us what pretty is and we bought it for a long time. And now people are bucking the trend and deciding, you know what? You know what's pretty? Rhubarb. You know what's pretty? Strawberries. You know what's pretty? Artichokes. Hello and welcome to Warmly, Iowa. I'm Sarah Davis, your host. I'm originally from Iowa, but like many others, I left to pursue career and adventure elsewhere. Then, a couple of years ago, after two decades living in big cities on both coasts, I returned. I didn't want to just return, though. I wanted to come home, and that's what I'm doing here. I like to think of this podcast as my love letter to Iowa, my home state, and to rediscovering community. This season, it starts with one simple question, and that was one that I would be asked time and time again. Dear Iowa, why does everyone think I grew up on a farm? Warmly, Sarah. When I first moved back to Iowa, I moved to a new suburban track house in West Des Moines that very much felt like I had to keep up with the Joneses. I realized quickly that this would not be a great place to be for the long term when the HOA posted signs all over the neighborhood after I did not take in my recycling bin for a week. The HOA, or Homeowners Association, is an entity in charge of enforcing community bylaws and rules and they often have reputations for being heavy-handed and overzealous in their approach. For the record, I kept calling the recycling company, who kept reassuring me that this bin would be picked up the next day. And after a week, I gave up, choosing instead to take the larger items to a nearby community bin and waiting another week for the recycling company to come. And once the grass started growing, I realized that I had to keep up with it, or the HOA would post a sign and I'd be shamed. I started to live in fear of not cutting my grass, which is not healthy, nor should it be the norm. So when I first found Kathy and Ed's farm, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, I was delighted. Not only were they going against the grain by using every inch of their yard as a farm, they were helping others to do this too. Urban farming helps the community and helps reduce fossil fuels, and I've seen firsthand how they do both. So I was so excited to record this conversation with Kathy Burns. A lifelong Iowan and country mouse at heart, Kathy always gardened but wasn't an actual farmer until she moved to the city of Des Moines. She soon discovered that dirt in urban settings is very different from the soil she was used to. With her husband Ed, she's learned to build soil with compost and manure from local sources, one being their very own chickens. Now Kathy is using her experience as a teacher, writer, foodie, and climate activist to help others learn to turn their yards into dinner. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Sarah. (laughs) Turning your yard into dinner. I've been to your farm, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and I've seen how much you've done with, it feels like every spare space you have maximized the most of it. I'm wondering if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about your farm and how it looks and maybe paint us a picture. You bet. I will credit Ed for the tagline, turn your yard into dinner. He came up with that when we were working on branding 
in early 2019, and it just sounded so perfect. It's exactly what we have done and what we hope to inspire and help others learn to do. In our little neighborhood of Sherman Hill in Des Moines, and it's a historic neighborhood, we rent one of the three oldest row houses in the city. And fortunately, of the three, ours is the one that hasn't been renovated. So we like the old school charm. Sarah, we've discussed some of the charm of old buildings. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's winter now and we're battling the drafts. But we also have the unit that sits on the north end of these. And surprisingly, the small yard, it's maybe a tenth of an acre, is part of what we rent. When I moved to Des Moines in 2017, I already knew Ed, and I knew that he was growing a lot of food here. I always have liked growing food myself, but in the country, as I mentioned, and we just combined our efforts. When you walk up to our space, you see a blackberry shrub, you see a hollyberry shrub, which is being invaded now by the blackberries, and I think I know who's going to win. And it's hard to see what's behind the shrubbery or this little picket fence. So we give people a little hint because in what we call the parking strip, that area between the sidewalk and the street, we have garden beds. And when we first started growing tomatoes in those garden beds, it raised a few eyebrows, but it is legal in Des Moines. So we're using every space that we can. When you come inside of the fence or beyond the shrubbery at the front of the yard, you will see garden bed, garden bed, garden bed, garden bed, and uh, some open spaces for planting. But we've used every space that we can to grow food, and not just the horizontal space, but the vertical space. You'll also see bees sitting up on a retaining wall. We have three hives right now. A little farther back, if you keep walking, it's a long, narrow yard. If you keep walking back toward the uh, east end of the house, You'll see a little rabbit hutch, and we've got a doe and a buck in there. And by the way, the doe has been actively preparing her nest, so we think she's going to have babies maybe today or tomorrow. And a little farther back is the chicken pen. So we've got now 14 chickens. We were just gifted four new young layers. Wow. You know, what strikes me about your urban farm also is every time I've been there, I've been there probably two times or three times now, there's always somebody in the community with you. Either it's intentional or it's because just happens to be a day when somebody from the community is coming by to help with compost or something along those lines. It's just so sweet to see one of the first things I noticed as I was walking by was just the welcoming quality of your farm. It's seeing the logo outside and being curious and finding out more information. And I just feel like in today's world, many of us are becoming more and more isolated. And to be able to see and experience and witness how the community is welcomed It's amazing. It's amazing to see and to witness. (laughs) Well, thank you for noticing that. Both Ed and I grew up in old-fashioned neighborhoods, mine in western Iowa, in the little town of Harlan, Ed in a town named Saugus that's just north of Boston a little bit. But it's the kind of neighborhood where you see your neighbors, you talk with your neighbors, you literally borrow that cup of sugar. 
Um, you lock yourself out. Your neighbor has the key to let you back in. That is what we have found in our neighborhood. And we want to help grow and maintain that feeling of community. We actually know that when you reach out, when you make connections, you're happier, your community is stronger, safer. It's like a part of my hometown, small town living right here in Des Moines. And Des Moines is a sizable city. So first of all, I have heard since I moved back, and I've experienced this too, which I never experienced when I was younger, probably because I was really shy and introverted, and I let my parents do all the socializing. (laughs) But I've heard that Des Moines is the biggest small town in many ways. And it just feels that way when I'm at your farm, like your your home and your farm, because so many people are gathered and maybe they know each other through you or through some other connection. I was there for the fall harvest. Yes, the harvest celebration. And that was so fun. And it was fun to meet you <laughs> at that. Yeah. And it was really great to talk with different people who were there. Many of them had just learned about your farm, your community over the years. They were either really tapped in in some way. I think Ed was involved in a music group. He is. He and I both have some Irish heritage and he belongs to a group called the Des Moines Irish Session. Those folks get together and they just play and play and play and it was fun to have them. We had a different group for music last year. We don't know what we'll do this coming year, but you're right. It's it's bringing people together that makes us really happy. We have a lot of friends that we've met and had them over to dinner with other friends. And now we see them being very good friends together. So that brings us a lot of joy. Most of our gatherings involve food, of course. We just love to have dinner guests. And I am my mother's child. I just want to feed people. I just want people to be happy and healthy. It's just a great way to set the table for community. And now is your yard your dinner as well? Absolutely. I had a lot of errands to do out of the house yesterday, and I came home, and Ed said he was going to have dinner on the table. And actually, he didn't have it done yet. He was outside cooking the dinner over a very small little grill using wood that we've gathered from, you know, a branch that we had to prune here or there or something someone's gifted to us. So anything to avoid using fossil fuels, basically. So he was cooking a dinner and he brought it in. Actually, we shared a leftover lamb burger that we got from a friend who does sustainable lamb up in Northern Polk County. But otherwise, there was a dish of turnip onion. I believe there was some green pepper in that and garlic, of course. And all of that is from our garden. And then there was a second dish of sweet potato. He had brought some sweet potatoes up from what we harvested this year and cooked a nice sweet potato dish to go alongside of that. And lettuce from one of our cold frames. And I don't know if people know, but you can grow lettuce and other greens, arugula, spinach throughout the winter if you set up a little I think of it as a baby greenhouse but we call it a cold frame and it's made with old window panes and things on a slanted box and it faces the sun and we had a fresh salad yeah that's impressive (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I've I've definitely seen people do that in California where I was living but Mm -hmm. less so here 
there's something that you mentioned that I want to ask you about, Mm -hmm. which is using less fossil fuels. I know climate change is really an important cause for both you and Ed, and I'm just curious why it's important to farm on your own land and in the context of climate change. The change in seasons is so evident and worrisome. Ed and I just put together a part of his weekly podcast in which we do a farm and food segment talking about the drastic change in the growing season in Iowa, especially concerning growing tomatoes in Iowa in what we now have as excessive heat. Yes, Iowa can get hot, but tomatoes weren't setting fruit for a lot of people last year. This is a serious problem. We've seen a lot of disruptions to the supply chain in the past few years. COVID, of course, has caused people to wonder where they will get food that we might normally get, Sarah, as you say, from California, food that usually gets trucked in from far away. Those systems were disrupted. And then a couple of years ago, Iowa had a gigantic storm called a derecho, which is like a straight line tornado that goes on and on. And this was miles wide and it destroyed so much of Iowa's farm crop and buildings homes, the power was out and people couldn't get food. There were no grocery stores, their food was spoiling in their freezers, and people just couldn't get food. So the fact that we have this obvious change of weather and climate means that we need to go local. We need to not rely on food being trucked in from elsewhere, brought from overseas. Yes, we love like a French wine sometimes, and cheeses from all around the world. But if push comes to shove and it is happening, we need to be able to rely on ourselves and each other. We're not survivalists by any means, but we're just saying that the supply chain is getting disrupted. Also, when the coasts start to get swallowed up by rising waters and it's happening, people are moving inland. Iowa was just named again in the Washington Post as having a very high quality of life and a very reasonable place to have your home and family to make an income. And there's still space in Iowa for a lot of people. But when more and more people come, we need to be sure to be ready to feed people. There's so much space that's not being used for producing food, and it confuses us. The city of Des Moines has taken some nice steps. The city hall, for instance, is landscaped all around with strawberries, and they are free for the picking, and they're delicious. I've noticed that. I wasn't sure what that was about. (laughs) You you can just go pick them and enjoy them. I've seen people come by and pick one or two and eat them as they walk along, and I've seen people come and bring their used yogurt containers and just pack them full of strawberries and take them home, and that's okay. Okay. There's a lot of land use that's not being wisely tended and used for beating people. The amount of corn we grow in Iowa, and I know it's sacrilege to talk about Iowa's corn in a negative way. Yeah. <laughs> the Most of the corn grown in Iowa is not to feed people. It's to feed our cattle and our cars. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the ethanol industry to me is a way to keep the fossil fuel industry alive as long as it can stay viable. Farmers that I know who've always grown corn are starting to speak out about changing their cropland to be something that is better for Iowa soil and better for the people 
better for the planet. And so those are steps that we need to take. We're losing valuable land and we're not going to be able to feed ourselves if we don't know how to grow food. When I lived in California, I was often get asked the question, did you grow up on a farm? I was really curious about that question. That's one of the reasons why I asked you to be on, because I know you did grow up on a farm. <laughs> I do want to talk to you about that. Well, in farmland. My dad had been a farmer, his dad too, and my cousins were farmers, and I did grow up in the country hmm. around all the farmland. I did farm work. I'm a farm girl at heart. I'm a country girl, but I was never really a farmer until I came to Des Moines. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good distinction. When I was thinking about that question, I was thinking about how it feels right now. It's going against the grain almost to grow up on a farm or to be close to farmland. And there are a few people who I feel like are doing a really great job of advocating for that way of living. But when did it shift? And are there enough people who are wanting this, who are craving this acquaintance again with the earth and with the ways that we grow things to make that trend shift back? There are a lot of people who still want to do rural farming, but... The land is out of reach for most people because of the massive industrialization of farming in Iowa. Small family farms might be a thing still, but they can only stay viable. And I really feel for the farm families trying to make a go of it in this climate. I mean, the economic climate. It's like they can't survive unless they do what works for the large farm industries in other words, they may not be growing what they want to grow. They're growing what they have to to make ends meet. So it's really sad to see. There's a lot of farmland out there, rural farmland, that's not being tended wisely. Some of the chemicals are in the waters, obviously. And Des Moines has to have the largest nitrate removal system maybe in the country. I'm not sure if I recall that, at least in the state. But that's not something to be proud of. That means from upstream, we're getting all the nitrates because it's washing down in the waters and that's the water we drink. So yeah. it's a big worry, but there's plenty we can do in the city and make growing food on your land a normal thing. That's the kind of funny thing. It depends on what community you live in. If people think growing food in your front yard is acceptable, a lot of people still have the idea that a lawn is acceptable. A few pretty shrubs and some flowers are acceptable those need to have a lot of fertilizer and weed treatment. People mow with a, a big power machine that eats fossil fuel too. And so we're in a cycle of someone told us what pretty is and we bought it for a long time. And now people are bucking the trend and deciding, you know what? You know what's pretty? Rhubarb. You know what's pretty? Strawberries. You know what's pretty? Artichokes. Yes. I think it's an attention getter in a good way. There are some naysayers. Well, we have backyard chickens. Fortunately, we have very cool neighbors who think that even our rooster has some charm to him. You don't need a rooster to have backyard chickens. You'll get great eggs from your hens without a rooster, obviously. 
but people are starting to redefine. I think Des Moines is gaining that cool factor of, you know, we're growing food here again. We're growing food next door. Like These neighbors have this food that they're growing. And if I do them a favor, like put their chickens in at night, sometimes they'll give me some cloves, some heads of garlic as a thank you. (laughs) I love that. I noticed this summer, I noticed it because, well, first of all, when I first moved back to the area, I moved into the suburbs. I moved into a suburban house that was a friend of a friend's just for a few months. And I had to maintain that yard. Yes. (laughs) And if I didn't, or if anything was like slightly off, I was trying to get the recycling bin. I was trying to get them to pick it up. And the HOA (laughs) got upset because I kept pulling it out and thinking, oh, they're going to pick it up today. And they didn't. And the HOA just got upset because it had been out for a week. (laughs) And so they went to every home in that subdivision and they put a piece of paper on every garage door. Reminding them. Mm -hmm. So I was terrified. I was like, I have got to mow this lawn. (laughs) I've got to stay (laughs) on top of it. (laughs) And, you know, it was sweet. The next door neighbor helped me out because I didn't have an edging tool. So he came over I was going to say, I'll bet everything had to be edged. And and we try to keep things edged. We do. <laughs> but then I moved to Des Moines and I was like, wow, the lawns are not as maintained. And there was this whole movement. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was in the month of May. But I was just like, oh, this is this feels so much better. It's less work. Mm-hmm. It's less worrying about the HOA yes. <laughs> coming down. And I was just like, why don't people do this? This is wonderful. <laughs> One of the best parts of what Ed and I do at Birds and Bees Urban Farm is on-site consultations. We've been brought to people who have those beautiful big backyards and a beautiful big side yard and space in the front. And when they moved into these homes or maybe they've been there in a while and thought, you know, I'm tired of mowing this grass. You know, we could be growing something. Ooh, there's a good grow. Don't mow. Let's start that. Let's start that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They need some help deciding the best way to use space to grow food. And it's so fun. Ed gets so excited. He's like, oh, you could you could fit two dozen garden beds back here. And I'm like, you could eventually. Then I kind of pull it back to, let's think about what's doable in the first year, what's doable in the second year. So Ed is great because he's always looking for the biggest possibility, the best effect. And people feel a little overwhelmed sometimes, like, "Ah, I can't do all that. And so Mm. we balance each other out nicely that way. Like, let's think about steps. Let's think about your immediate goals. Let's think about success for the short term and then build on that. So it's a lot of fun because then we get invited back to see maybe they've put three beds in and they're growing things. And they're so happy because they're sharing herbs with their neighbors then they're going to add two more beds somewhere, or they're going to, some people have started a couple of beehives, you know, after some training and discussion, people get some backyard chickens sometimes. It's just really fun to see this grow. When I was doing another job, I was a writer and editor, as you mentioned, for a very large global nonprofit. 
And I was working from home, but Ed and I were growing this food here. And so I would work from home and then taking a coffee break, I would just mosey through the yard. And so many people would pass by, as you said, it's like people just want to come in and they look and I invited them in for a little, like, I'll give you a quick walkthrough. I think it was early 2019. And finally somebody said, I want to learn to do this. I want to learn to grow food like this. And it was maybe the 50th person who had said that in a year and a half or something. And boom, it clicked in my head. Okay, I'm going to leave my job. And good pay and good health insurance, and I'm going to establish a nonprofit. And I said, Anna, what? How do you feel about that? He says, Yes, we'll make it work. So it was just wonderful that we were able to. And I will have to say that not everybody can do that. I know that we knew that whatever happened, we weren't going to go homeless or hungry. We were going to make it work somehow. You know, we don't have stores of wealth to rely on. We don't have big incomes or bank accounts, but we have, as you mentioned, we have family, we have connections. We knew we could take the risk. We knew we could live simply enough to make that risk happen. In Iowa, we like to think that we're simple folk. We're not real fancy, but you lived in a suburb and you've seen different things. (laughs) You know, people with big lawns. And- yeah, it's a little bit different there. <laughs> All the trappings. But I think that when you take away expectations of keeping up with those proverbial Joneses, you just get happier. You really do. We do have a washing machine and we actually have a dryer, but we don't use the dryer for anything. But on top of it, we store our bee suit equipment. I mean, We hang out clothes. It's one of the joys of the day is to hang clothes on a rack inside in the winter or out on a line in the summer. I think that when choosing to grow food, choosing to have your hands in the dirt, it's part of a bigger scheme to just create a happier life. We have grandchildren come visit, and I like that they get to see that this is a possibility. You know, you think about, oh, we're going to make sure the world is better for our kids. For us, that means a simpler life, not fancy. (laughs) It means showing them that however they're living, they can go whichever way they want with it. They can choose to grow potatoes and store them in a pit in the ground over the winter. It expands their possibilities, I think. Yeah. And I have taken one of those tours through your house. Hearing how you describe every aspect, it does open your eyes. Oh, right. There's, you know, I can get a bookshelf from Goodwill. I don't need to order it on Amazon. (laughs) You know, it just, it's like a reminder. And, you know, your description of where everything was sourced is a helpful reference. And that actually leads me to my next question, which is what are some small steps people can do today, even if they're not yet ready to turn their yards into dinner? Well, backing up, I grew up in the 70s during the energy crisis. And it was expected in our house, we had a household of nine, two parents and seven children, that it would turn off lights. And this was even before the energy crisis. You don't waste electricity. That was, don't waste electricity. Turn off the light when you leave the room. You don't need the furnace up really high. Put on a sweater. Get your socks on. Put a hat on. Something like that. So I grew up in the era of not just doing this so that you save money, but doing this so that you're responsible with the resources. My mom, when we would take a nature hike, would always say, we're going to leave this place better than we found it. I think John Muir really said that. 
but I will credit my mom with it. Yeah. She's the one who helped me learn it. I love that. So just getting in the mindset of you're not living more simply so you can save a whole bunch of money. You're not living more simply because we don't have the resources to spend. Someday we won't have the resources that we take for granted. But if you start now with, I'm going to hang my laundry on a rack instead of a dryer, that's a step that you can take. It's an easy thing to do. You can get one of those little wooden racks that pops up or a metal one. We actually have three drying racks scattered about the house that we can use. If you don't have a clothesline outside, your clothes can still dry inside. It's just one step that you can take that makes you think, hmm, I'm now not using a dryer, which I believe we have seen in a statistic uses like 60% of your home's electrical use might be out of your dryer, depending on how much you use it. Wow. It's a huge energy suck. So that's a simple step you can take for a fairly big effect. Not everybody has time to like make a pie. But if you really want a nice experience, say you're going to listen to somebody's great podcast like Sarah Davis's. You can be in your kitchen and you can have your hands in a dough. You can watch the butter get cut into the flour and the salt. And then you can add your liquid and work it with your hands And you can feel, I don't know if it was your mother, your grandmother, usually it was the women, actually Ed's a good pie maker here, but you can feel your ancestors' hands on yours as you work that dough, as you roll that pin. Just getting that nice visceral sensation is a simple step that you can take to add some real enjoyment to your life. You can multitask while you do it too. You you can, as I said, listen to a podcast. If you're working from home, you can be on a work call (laughs) if it's not something that's visual. I should come up with some better answers for you, Sarah, but buying a drying rack and making a pie are my first two suggestions. Those are good ones because those also add to quality of life. Your Mm -hmm. clothing lasts longer if you don't dry it in the dryer. Your food, your nutrition is better if you make it yourself. I think those are good suggestions. I think we started talking about this at the beginning of our discussion, and that's just the importance of connections with each other. What we do here at this urban farm is be connected to the earth, but As we've mentioned, it's connected us to so many other people. People want to learn to do it. We've got people who will put chickens to bed at night and get them up in the morning if we have to be gone. Then they get eggs for it. There's so much isolation in the world. People walking by you on sidewalks with their Bluetooth earbuds in and their head down and they're purposely avoiding a nod and a smile. And I just hope that people will try to buck that trend and try to reach out and say, hello, how are you? Good afternoon, whatever. Anything to connect is going to enrich us. And for Ed and me, a lot of that is connecting with the earth, helping to protect the earth. The earth will sustain us and other species as long as we take good care of it and each other. Oh, thank you. I'm thankful that I met you and I got to see how you do community and how it works. And it's just, it is really beautiful and magical. I thank you for doing this work. I know it's not easy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, golly, it's tremendously rewarding. And I'm glad you're back in Iowa. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad to be here. Now, how can listeners find you after this? We have a website, birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. We also have a Facebook page, Birds and Bees Urban Farm. 
all of my contact information is on that. Even our address, if you walk by or drive by, you're welcome to knock on the door. If we're home, we'll say hello. (laughs) I love that. Open door policy. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Thank you again. Thank you, Sarah. Back in the studio now, it's been fun to reflect on the conversation again, and honestly, just to witness two people paving the way for the world they want to live in right here in Des Moines, Iowa. If you live in an urban area in Iowa, have you considered turning your yard into food? If so, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at warmlyiowa at gmail.com with your reflections. For the next episode, we'll be chatting with Dr. Brian Rumsey about community and sustainable farming practices in the context of pizza farming. I'm Sarah Davis, and this is the Warmly Iowa podcast. Ted Craig edits and produces this podcast. Please check out any resources mentioned today in the show notes and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Warmly Iowa also has a regular newsletter that features more activities and the people behind them from the Iowa community, as well as bonus content from the podcast. You can find it on Substack. Just search for Warmly Iowa. As my dad liked to sign off on his letters, take care and own your adventure. Mm -hmm.